Please join me in standing for the reading of God's word. <laughs> Romans 10, 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good afternoon. Merry Christmas. Hope that y'all are doing well. It is a joy to be with you on this kind of cold. Nah, it's not really. But, um, you know, the weather is nice. Uh, so thank y'all so much for being here. Again, it is a joy to be with you. My name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. Um, in the event that you didn't hear, Jonathan, we're gonna find ourselves in Romans chapter 10. This is in the New Testament. Romans chapter 10, verse nine. So while you open or load your Bibles, I'm gonna invite you into this little experiment. Normally, I stand up on the pulpit, but I like to move, and uh, we're gonna test this out today, so we'll see what it, what it feels like in preaching from the floor. Thank you for your patience in that. Well, let's dig into our time. I don't know if you know, I don't know if you're a fan, but in season four of The Office, there's this episode where one of the main characters, his name is Michael Scott, and Michael Scott is having money problems. He's the boss, and he's having money problems, and throughout the episode, he's trying to find ways to get out of some of the trouble that he finds himself in. And throughout this time, he's talking to some of the accountants at the office. He's trying to talk to some of, the, uh, some of his other coworkers. And finally, after many conversations, one of the most beloved characters, Creed Bratton, pulls Michael aside and, uh, and tells him that anytime he personally gets into some money, uh, money troubles, he declares bankruptcy. Creed tells Michael, this is what he says, Creed tells Michael that bankruptcy is nature's do-over. It's a fresh start, it's a clean slate, but in order for it to take place, one must first declare bankruptcy. Well, Michael takes his advice, walks out of the kitchen, this is where they were meeting, he walks out of the kitchen and into the bullpen with the rest of his coworkers and he yells out, I declare bankruptcy. Michael Scott thought you only had to declare bankruptcy in order for it to be legitimate, in order for it to take place or be genuine, not that you actually had to file for bankruptcy, which requires documentation. The way Michael Scott thought bankruptcy worked is the way, sadly, many Christians think, think Jesus as Lord works. In other words, when asked whether or not Jesus is your Lord, many Christians, and this might be you, might say something like, of course, I've declared it, but fail to consider what the implications of this confession actually mean. See, for many Christians, and once more, this might be you, to call Jesus as Lord may be something that's obvious. If I were to ask you that, you'd probably spit back and say, of course, it's obvious that Jesus is my Lord. For some, it might seem like it's a little bit too much, like, whoa, it's one thing to call him Savior. I don't know about Lord. It is one thing to say that he is Savior. It is another to say that he is actually Lord Therefore, here's what I want you to know. Here's your main idea. You can only know Jesus if you know him as Lord. 
You can only know Jesus if you know him as Lord. And so before we dig into Romans 10, let me pray for our time and we'll consider our text this afternoon. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of today. Thank you most importantly for Jesus. It is solely by your grace that we are here, gathered for worship on a day like Christmas. This is the entire point of Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and resurrection. Today, may you give us hearts to believe, ears to listen, hands to serve. May your word this afternoon be sweeter than the taste of honey, more joyful than the sound of presents unwrapped. May your word be exactly what we need, not only in the midst of celebration, but in the need for comfort. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you've just joined us once more, we're gonna find ourselves in Romans chapter 10, verse nine. I'd like to reread it one more time. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The first thing that I want you to consider from this verse is the weight that carries this verse. While the Apostle Paul is addressing salvation through faith in Jesus, he is more focused on the weight of us confessing him as Lord than the actual order of salvation. For a moment, let's consider that actual order for the sake of clarity. What Paul is saying here is, or when we look at it at first glance, it would imply that if I confess the Lord Jesus and then believe in him, that's the way it would work. So it first comes with articulation and then belief, but that's not actually how it works. If you have your Bibles, this will not be on the screen. In the very next verse, it's almost as though Paul says the reverse. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. See, in order to know God, just to make it clear, in order to know God, there must be a change of heart first, an awakening in order for us to actually then confess Jesus as Lord. And so the question might be, well, why does Paul write it that way in verse 9? Well, part of the reason, or in short, the reason he does so is because his focus for us is on the weight of confession, not the order. He wants us to really dig in, focus, narrow down, hunker down on what does it mean to confess, or better yet, let me say it this way, what the actual implications are of confessing Jesus as Lord. See, Paul's not worried about the order of salvation here. Rather, he's bringing two concepts together that are united, confession and belief. Often when we talk about confession, we're pretty specific. To confess, when we look at the broader text of scripture, to confess means to admit the charges that were brought before you, to admit your fault, to admit your crime. 
If you've ever seen the movie RoboCop, the 2014 one, not that that one's better, but in 2014, there's this one scene in RoboCop where, where Alex Murphy figures out that uh, his, his, his attempted murder was set up. And so he's in the police station and he's trying to, or he's actually arresting some of the bad cops. And one of the bad cops tells him that the one that orchestrated everything was their police chief, Karen Dean. And so he walks out of the office and he walks into her office and he brings all of these facts, all of these charges before her on her trying to kill him and ruin his family. And in that scene, he's really angry and he says, confess before everybody, confess. In other words, admit your crime, admit your fault as he's presenting the charges brought against her. That's often the way we look at confession or further, when you consider what the Apostle John writes, he says, this is 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word confess in that little verse means an admission of guilt. But when we consider Romans 10, 9, it's something a little different. In Romans 10, 9, the word confess means to declare something. A declaration of something means that there is weight, that there is significance, that there is depth to the confession. In Romans 10.9, Paul is telling us that true faith speaks and actually has life. There are implications. To declare Jesus as Lord means that we confess him not only personally, but publicly. It's not a Michael Scott declaration, but an actual confession that brings forth weight, witness, and transformation. So then what are some of the implications of confessing Jesus as Lord? In our time, I wanna give you five imperatives, right? five crucial truths of what it means when you and I confess Jesus as Lord. The first imperative, the first crucial truth is that Confessing Jesus as Lord means that we are confessing his deity. That is that we confess that Jesus is God. We do not only believe that Jesus was a man, but that he is also God. In Jesus entering into time and space, nothing was removed from him, rather something was added to him, that is his humanity, while at the same time keeping his deity. Jesus is not only our great God, but he is our savior. The name Jesus refers to his mission, to save sinners. Secondly, as a result of Jesus' deity, to confess him as Lord implies that we confess the authority of Jesus. When you and I consider the authority of Jesus, we're looking at this in two parts. The first one is that we confess his authority universally, that he is sovereign over all creation, in short, that he is in charge. For a moment, you can consider Colossians 1, beginning in verse 16. Paul once more writes, 
For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, as if he ends there. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is sovereign over all. So to confess his authority is to look at it universally, but also to look at it personally. That is that Jesus is our authority. See, as Jesus as Lord, our obedience toward him is the result of us being under his authority. Last week we looked at the fact that you and I were created to live under authority. The problem that you and I have is that we think we are the authority we ought to live under. That is the lie that many people, and in particular Christians, believe. To declare that Jesus is Lord is to confess his authority universally and personally. Third, if we confess Jesus as Lord, and we are acknowledging his deity and his authority, then another implication is our willing service and submission to Jesus. That is, as we submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus and his authority, there is a submission of self. There is a dying of ourselves that we are laying it all before him. This is part of the process of us becoming who we were actually intended to be as we put sin to death, as we die to ourselves, but as we become more like Jesus. Fourth, to confess Jesus as Lord is to confess or to profess him publicly. You and I need to realize that while our faith is personal, it's really never entirely private. This doesn't mean that you're gonna be a super evangelist or that you're gonna have a big platform to share the good news of Jesus, but what it does mean is everyone does in fact have some sort of platform or some sort of avenue to share the good news of Jesus. The confession of of the lordship of Jesus is not an empty phrase. The confession of Jesus as Lord is one that is accompanied by faith. Apart from faith, it is empty. It means nothing. For a moment, consider Matthew 7. This is Jesus speaking. I think this is on the screen. And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? And then Jesus responds, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
In short, here's what Jesus is telling these individuals, and we'll make it even more personal. This is what Jesus is telling people who profess to be Christians. What Jesus is saying is, hey, you had the confession down, but you didn't have the faith because we think they're separate. But in Romans 10, 9, Paul is bringing them together. To confess Jesus as Lord is to confess him publicly. And finally, I'm really excited, maybe because of some preaching from the floor. <laughs> yes, sir. And finally, our confession of Jesus as Lord implies that we have been saved by faith through Jesus. This means that there, only, there isn't only agreement with the scriptures, but fruit. Saving faith involves the fruit of confession. See, once more, the second half of verse nine, Paul writes, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When we confess to knowing God, we are confessing objective beliefs. When Paul writes that we believe that, we, that he was raised from the dead, this is a catch-all expression for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That is, we are confessing and believing that Jesus died. In other words, if we are confessing and we believe that God raised him from the dead, then in order to be raised from the dead, Jesus had to have died. So we're confessing that he has died, but not only that, his death wasn't random, it was sacrificial for the sins of people like you and me. Which means if Jesus died, then he had to have lived. And if he lived, then he lived a sinless life in perfect submission to the Father. That Jesus fulfilled the law of God on behalf of lawbreakers like you and I. And if he lived, then that means that he entered into our world through the virgin birth, which then means that he was incarnate all the way back to his incarnation. So when you see that phrase, that God raised him from the dead, it is simple, but it has so much deep implication. Additionally, when we confess that, the fruit of this confession also is regeneration. There's that little phrase, Paul says, if you believe in your heart. In other words, this isn't a hallmark expression. Like he didn't go to the CVS or Walmart and find a cool card and hook the Romans up with this, right? This isn't a hallmark expression, but one of transformation. You see, a heart that has been transformed by God is sincere toward God. It's sincere toward God because it is this kind of heart that realizes that Jesus is the only one who can take away our guilt and shame and reconcile us to God. To believe in your heart, if you want to put that on your Instagram bio, to believe in your heart means that there is a dependency on Jesus, that he is actually the only hope that any of us have. Not Han Solo, like it was for Princess Leia, but when it comes to Jesus, he is literally our only hope. Some of you didn't get that reference. 
Another fruit of this confession is repentance. See, repentance is not only simply agreeing that, yeah, I got some stuff I need to work on. It's not a changing of your mind. See, some of you nerds do that, right? Like when you guys are in community with one another, and I'm preaching to myself on this, and someone might call you on your sin, you'd be like, yeah, yeah, I need to work on that. That's, that's true. That's good. That's good. I just got to think about it, right? That's not repentance, right? That's not repentance. It's actually a change in one's life, not just in their mind. It is not only turning away from our sin, it's turning to Jesus in obedience. No te hagas. It's not simply a new way of thinking. It's a walking in a new way of life. That is what repentance is. Does this mean that you're gonna be perfect? No, absolutely not. Christians sin, but that does not mean that they're not committed to Jesus or unrepentant, if indeed they are repenting. It is when we stay in our sin and do nothing about it. Then, not only are we uncommitted, we are unrepentant and perhaps maybe not even Christians. The fruit of this confession implies repentance of sin, not just agreement that I got things that I need to work on. That's just code for let's move on. The fruit of this confession implies discipleship. That is, when Jesus calls you to follow him, it does not mean that you can follow him and remain unchanged. Rather, to follow Jesus, this means that we have abandoned all sin, that we have abandoned our former lifestyle, that we have rejected false notions of who we thought ourselves to be and have depended on Jesus and his grace alone. Oftentimes, when it comes to discipleship, this, this is sometimes the most difficult thing for Christians. See, there are many Christians, I think, who would say that you can be a Christian without surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus. They would say, oh, they are an unsurrendered Christian. I don't know what that means because I don't see that in Scripture. Right? Or, some would say, well, I believe in Jesus, but I'm still trying to figure things out. There is a distinction. There's a distinction between struggling, wrestling, and grappling with the truth of God through his word. There is a difference between having a hard season. There is a difference in being a young Christian who is barely growing up in the faith. Like, that is one thing. But it's another thing to say, I'm just trying to figure it out as a way of saying, I want to just stay stuck in my sin. I want to voluntarily shackle myself to the chains that were already broken. Like, not the guess. There's a distinction, but we use a lot of Christianese to justify some of these things. But when it comes to discipleship, what we're doing is that, we're, man, we're laying it all before Jesus. It doesn't mean you don't struggle. It does not mean you don't struggle. The point is that confession and belief are always in relationship with one another, not separated. Is it possible to confess Jesus and lack faith? Absolutely, people do it all the time. 
And this is why the weight of confession implies that there is fruit in the life of a Christian. To confess Jesus as Lord implies that we confess his deity, his authority, our submission to Jesus, that we confess him publicly, and that ultimately we have been saved by him through faith in him and in him alone. So, it's Christmas Day, you came to a Christmas service, and you're like, what kind of Christmas service is this? What does this have to do with Christmas? Everything. It has everything to do with Christmas because you and I have a tendency to separate or to at least want to separate confession from belief. And as a result, we do not actually know Jesus to the fullest possible measure. You see, for many, when they think about Christmas, they think about everything except for Jesus. But the whole purpose of Christmas, the entire reason behind this Advent season is that it anticipates our Redeemer. The entirety of the Christmas story tells us that God refused to allow us to remain in our sin. And so as we wrap up this season of Advent, we have looked at the perfect fulfillment of Jesus' offices of prophet, priest, and king. See, as prophet, we need someone who is not only going to teach us the word of God perfectly, but faithfully, we also need someone who's going to rebuke us. Jesus, as our priest, tells us that we need someone who is going to stand in the gap between us and God and intercede for us on our behalf to God. As king, we need someone who is going to sovereignly and lovingly rule over us, someone who invites us into his kingdom because of the work he has done for us. The birth of Christ is the dawning of deliverance, and only Jesus can accomplish this. So unlike Michael Scott, who declares something without implication or fruit, let us be Christians, let us be a church who confess the Lordship of Christ by bearing fruit as a result of what he has done for us. And so to the Christian, let me talk to you for a bit. Here's the question I want you to consider. Is Jesus Lord? Is Jesus your Lord? You see, it's easy for us to say that Jesus is our Lord over the things that are easy for us to deny. Like if you're broke and you're like, oh yeah, Jesus is Lord over my finances. Well, of course, you're broke, right? Like, not like a vet, right? Like there's, <laughs> there's that, right? Because it's the holidays, I will say it, right? If you do not drink alcohol, you're like, oh yeah, Jesus is, is Lord over, over even drinks. I'm like, well, you don't drink. Like, okay, cool. Like, yeah, it's easy to deny that. I'm talking about over the things you don't want to deny, over the things you don't want to give up. Entonces, no te hagas, right? Like, I'm like, oh yeah, let's talk about the simple things. No, 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 I don't want to talk about the simple things. I'm talking about the things you do not want to deny. 
I'm talking about the things that are not easy for you to put on the table. I'm talking about the things you don't want to give up. Sin that you're living in. Neglect of what he has called you to do. Fear that has consumed you. Or fear that you've consumed yourself with. That's what I'm asking about. Whatever that is. See, confessing Jesus as Lord doesn't only mean that you turn away from sin and turn toward Jesus. It absolutely means that. That is an implication. But with that implication also means that you can come before him in your time of need and receive grace. This access that you have to God came as a result of Jesus' work for you. Therefore, you, Christian, can come before the Lord this afternoon and receive grace and mercy. What is it that you don't want to give up? What is it that you don't want to deny? And you're like, but this thing, that's the thing. That's the thing. And if you're not a Christian, let me just say, I love that you're here because you didn't have to be here. You chose to be with us this afternoon and it is an honor to have you. And you're confronted with the same truth. You're confronted with the same truth. You see, God entered into human history as the man Jesus Christ to live the life that you and I cannot live and then die the death that you and I deserve. And then he freely offers you the forgiveness of your sin, the removal of your guilt, and the gift of a new heart, all things that you cannot work yourself to earn or things that you cannot clean yourself up to on your own. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is an invitation to come to know him. And rather than standing before him condemned, you can stand in him redeemed. So as much as we're gonna continue to celebrate this week, because there's always Christmas and then the awkward six days before New Year's, right? Church, remember this. You can only know Jesus if you know him as Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, the season of Advent reminds us that you sent your son to enter our world, to take on flesh, and to dwell among us as the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus entered into our world and the lives of others to bring light and life. Lord, we confess, we confess that at times we have neglected Jesus and others. We confess that we desire to be our own king, our own Lord. Would you hear the cry of our hearts? We repent of these sins, our arrogance, our willing ignorance, and our hardened hearts. We come to you in confidence knowing that your steadfast love for us endures forever. Therefore, as we prepare for communion, let us come before you with confidence to receive grace in our need. 
Though we struggle, your grace is greater than our sin. And our struggle, Lord, our struggle is sometimes that we are afraid. But your grace is greater than our struggle, meaning there is more grace in you than sin in us, meaning that you are great comfort in our struggle. We cannot come before you perfect because Jesus alone is our perfection. Therefore, may we come before you repentant and believing. As we receive the bread and the cup, may we remember not only the work of Jesus, but may we remember that he is the bread of life and the only one who can truly nourish us. In this fellowship with one another and with Jesus, may we cling to his promises. If you are not a Christian, the bread and the cup is something you should not receive. It is only for those who have received Jesus through faith. Therefore, we want to encourage you to use this time to consider the offer of forgiveness and eternal life that Jesus offers to all who are willing to receive him. Jesus stands ready to pardon any sinner who turns to him in faith and repentance. Today, place your hope in him. Slow this time down, church. Come before the Lord expectant yet confident, ready to receive grace. If we are products of what we listen to, then what is it that you are preaching to yourself this afternoon? May it be the gospel of God and the gospel of grace. When you are ready, you may come forward. Do not rush this time. Do not hurry this time. But when you are ready, you may come forward.